Yep, I've got my cup of tea now because I'm drinking plenty of fluids. Yes. And I'm flinking plenty of druids. <laughs> hey, boomers! Welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your fortnightly time portal into a time that was frankly easier to make sense of when Sega and Sonic were important, and also your fortnightly chronicle of the cold that finally finished off one of your dear hosts. Uh, I'm Dave Cauldron of Flam Bulma. <laughs> and I'm Chris Howlin' Mad McFeely. <laughs> and we're your humes who think we're in charge. As we look at issue number 15 of Sonic the Comic. L- listeners, I'm sorry about my voice. I'm t- week five of having a cold. I'm going back to the doctors, I am. You need to, that's not... I've right. been once. They said, no, it's okay, it's fine. It's just there's a there's one going around that lingers with a long cough. But now I'm starting to go dizzy. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, there's a bit of dizzy in this issue. There is, yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> I ended up going to hospital... But now I'm fine. All right, what, what, what are we on the cover? Uh, we are reminded once again it is Britain's only official Sega comic. Only. Only is underlined. That's this is right. issue number 15, uh, December the 11th, 1993. It's almost Christmas, boomers. It's another Ferran Rodriguez cover. They're not crediting mm. the artists for the covers yet. I've discovered they will start doing it in the new what? year. Yes, in the new they year really? they start crediting the cover artists. I've looked ahead. Well, I never. In the inside cover, do I? Yes, on the little inside cover box where they have the editor and designer credits. Well, quite right, too. Yeah, But it's uh, easy enough to recognize Rodriguez from the few bits and bobs he's done for the series already. Not that the illustration of the cover actually has anything to do with the contents of the comic for its uh, Sonic and Tails in the Sky Chase Zone. Uh, Sonic yes. on the wings of the tornado. Uh, not that we knew it was called the tornado. No, we didn't. Then. I don't think just it was the, just the, the biplane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't spotted the badniks coming up behind them. Dave, those badniks are called. Oh, goodness me. Don't know. I do not know. Look it up and splice it in. <laughs> Lay in the wax and splice in the sound. The Valkyrie. The Valkyrie. Starring Sonic the Hedgehog plus your soar away Sega superstars Echo, Decap Attack, and Golden Axe. This issue you can win a Mega Drive, a Mega CD, and an exclusive gold game disc. Gold Ooh. game disc, and aren't we all chomping at the bit to find out what exciting game it's a gold disc of? Will it be Sonic CD? It won't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Mega CD, I don't know if it had many games that were worthy of being uh, gold. Nope. Uh, I mean, if we flip over to the... One of the things I noticed first um, is that In Excess Make My Video has streaked in at number 10 on the Mega CD charts. Chris, 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 I needed to read this comic sort of a bit last minute because this cold has really knocked me for a loop and all of the shenanigans. I burnt my fingers yesterday and had to go to A&E, listeners, so that was when I was going to be doing some SDC stuff, including reading over this one, so I've been reading it while Abby's been here. And, uh... So, uh, just to facilitate that, I put on some 90s music. We've got some old Now albums and we put it on, and I put on the one that I actually bought with my own pocket money, Now 20, ooh, I want to say 3, and In Excess were right on there. Turns out I have heard of In Excess. <laughs> I was going to say that it was illustrative of how few games there were for the Mega CD, <laughs> but, you know, perhaps it was. Perhaps that just proves that it was merely a sign of the times more than a lack of quality. Perhaps they were quite popular. I didn't hate the In Excess song I heard this morning. It's a glowing review. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was surprised to see that uh, the new entry in the Mega Drive charts is... Well, no, I wasn't surprised to see that it was Aladdin, but I was surprised to see it only came in at number two. 
Yeah, true, but then it's a brand new game. I suppose and it, I suppose it hasn't it... gone on to become the killer app that will be packaged with the Mega Drive yet, which I suppose will... I'm sure it must jump up to number one before all will be said and done. Maybe, and it's Mortal Kombat number one, so, That's you know... That's true, you're going to hard push to shift that, yeah. We were a bloodthirsty lot, weren't we? Wow, we, we Sega charted a bit early there. Yeah, we jumped to the charts a little bit early, so let's see what else is in the Control Zone this week. Mmm, welcome, screen. Hey, boomers, tis the season to be jolly, or so they say. I'm certainly feeling jolly. Jolly well fed up! You know, it's funny, I don't really remember yeah. Megadroid being quite such a grump sometimes. I do. He could be, but I guess it's not my overriding memory of him. No, I do. I always thought of him as a sort of a downtrodden office dog's body who had to go around doing everything because... The, the humans just had their feet up on the desks and they had not a beer in their hand, but let's say a Coke with a straw coming out of it and maybe also a little umbrella coming out of it. Yeah, because we, we talk about Megadroid as if he is the editor figure of the comic, but uh, technically he's not, even though he occupies that Tharg-like overseer position. Within the fiction of it all, he is actually the sort of like the office dog's body. Yeah. In this case, he says uh, they started their Christmas party a week ago and have left him to take care of everything else including uh, yes. not one but two issues of the brilliant new Sonic the Poster Mag. There we go! Finally bringing it finally up in the Finally promoting the Poster Mag, exactly! Well, finally, after one issue, but... <laughs> well, yeah. but they must have purchased a shelf life for the Poster Mag that was longer than the standard two weeks, mustn't they? Yeah, it's a month right. between issues one and two of the Poster Mag. So as far as we know, the first issue of the Poster Mag came out the same day as the previous issue of Sonic right. the Comic two weeks before this one, and then um, issue two will come out two weeks after this one on the same day as issue 16. So, in this uh, issue sandwiched in between the two, Megadroid takes the time to promote them finally. Finally. We say finally. It's only been an issue. But still, it's weird that he didn't let us know ahead of time. They'd be very good about that in the future. So we would always know when they were coming. And we either have done or will be doing an episode about it whenever it's convenient for us to release it. <laughs> yes, I would say to look forward to that sometime around Christmas, boomers. Yeah. As a little jingly present. What else do we have in our jingly uh, sack? <laughs> STC News, Tails flies solo, as is teased just to the left of it. We've got Tails coming next issue. He gets his own strip. Yes, he's taking the place of Decap Attack, because although they haven't actually mentioned it, uh, this issue contains the, the final chapter of Decap Attack, so Tails is taking that slot in the comic. It's an interesting little um, announcement, isn't it? It's framed mm. like, a, like a little news bulletin. Dateline, Emerald Hill Zone, Miles Tails Prior, constant companion of Mobius hero Sonic the Hedgehog, has mysteriously disappeared from the zone. Mem this is a weird one. Members yeah. of Groom, the Get Robotnik out of Mobius movement, reported seeing the young twin-tailed fox disappearing into a strange portal that seemingly materialized out of thin air a few days ago. I don't think we'd ever... See, that that, that seems like something that you might have expected to see reflected in the stories, wouldn't it? But, but I don't yeah. think we ever heard of Groom again. Nope, nope, don't remember that ever being mentioned again. It's not like there'd be any shortage of civilian anti-robotnik movements or anything like that. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. We're going to see a little bit of one today. Indeed. Uh, witnesses claim to have seen other fox-like creatures through this unnatural doorway. What has happened? Ooh. It's, um... The answer is weird, and we'll get yeah. to it next issue when we look at Tales' series. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't remember it at the time, finding it that weird. But, no! But it's famous for being weird. People talk about it as though it was weird. I think at the time I was just like, yep, I'm yeah, reading the comic. Like, yeah, Anything could happen in a comic. But 
with hindsight. It was kind of weird. And they also let us know that um, the comic will be available on subscription going forward. You can send in a coupon to have it posted to you, even if you're overseas. Did you ever subscribe to any comics, Dave? Not a single thing. Uh, No, absolutely not. Never bothered. You just go to the newsagents. That's a weird position of privilege we enjoyed, where we didn't really think about it when we were kids, how we could just go to a newsagent. But some folks couldn't. I, I guess some folks couldn't. I've never been to a place where you couldn't have just walked into whatever the local newsagent or Woolies was and pick up an STC at the time. It was uh, it was always there. I, I, I'm, I guess I'm talking more about isolated areas or whatever out in the country or something. Yes, I have an aunt whose uh, bus into town comes twice a week. Oh, there you go, you see. She couldn't have got STC. Summer. The Green Eater, written by Mark Miller, art by Mike Hadley, letters by Ella Tafel. In the Scrap Brain Zone, a legion of badniks under the command of the towering Terra Droid builds the Green Eater, an evil machine that drains the life from organic zones, starting with the Emerald Hill Zone. With his home melting around him, Sonic speeds off to stop this new menace, quickly destroying the Green Eater with a Sonic Speed Tornado. Teradroid isn't best pleased, but his threat is promptly ended when Sonic rips out his battery and repurposes his deactivated body as a new home for the Emerald Hill Folk. There's an environmental theme that is inherent to Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. By design. Evil scientist, industrialist, robot, doctor, builds machines and seeks to exterminate animals and the nice organic zones of the planet. That's always been an inherent part of Sonic the Hedgehog, just at the baseline. But it's not something a lot of Sonic stories ever really dive into too much. No, they never got Captain Planety about it, did they? We're heading into the mid-90s now. I feel like hardcore Hey Kids recycle stuff. We might be on the downswing of it again. But that is very much what's at play in this one. It's a fine little story. It's a bit of a throwaway one, though, this one. It is. Um, and, and a little bit sort of I always found this one a bit vague in various ways. I, I mean, was just thinking the same thing. I always struggle to remember the details of it. It comes as a surprise every time that the giant green monster is not the green eater. Right? Because he's green. Yeah, Teradroid is green. And you see his na- the, the green eater right next to him there on the front page. I mean, that would uh-huh. that would be a more interesting story if the environment-destroying, zone-melting machine was Teradroid. Because, I mean, it's even even in his name, Teradroid. Teradroid, yeah. Yeah, if the idea was that it was going across the planet, chomping it up, or it was what was spewing out the fumes or something, that's more interesting. Yeah. I mean, as it stands, the green eater, is it's, it's just a smokestack. It's just a chimney. We really don't know what it is that it's even doing. For me to say that it's draining the life from organic zone is is an extrapolation. It's not thought through, this one. It's not no. necess- it doesn't necessarily make it bad, it just no. makes it quite slight. Yeah, and you never quite see... Uh, for example, I couldn't tell you now how much of what we see around the big pterodroid is the green eater. Yeah. Is it just that chimney, or is it the entire environment they're in that the chimney might be sticking out of? And either way, yes, when it starts to green eat, the way that that manifests is just like the Emerald Hill Zone just starts melting. Yes, it just melts. It doesn't show it, like, decaying or dying. No. Like, it doesn't show the no. green turning brown. It just turns to... No. Just turns to sludge. Yeah, just the, the towers and the loops start wobbling and falling over. Yeah, exactly. There's also... If Mark's scripts were written ages before they landed in the comic, which we don't know, but it's what I heard and it's what we've been extrapolating, yeah. then this one actually happens to fit in nicely because the tone of it... It really reads like the whole rule by Robotnik dictatorship stuff that we saw a few episodes back. So much so that it it actually took me a moment to realise that 
this is just some random robot being mean to them and not a more direct mouthpiece of Robotnik like those soldiers were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it works either way. It, it works yeah. as a throwaway plot, but it gains a little extra oomph when you get the idea that, yeah, this is just the next step in Robotnik's control of the planet. Exactly, it fits in with that. But again, and this com- this comes back to now to the idea that we've been exploring in previous issues that Miller's scripts were probably tweaked to mm. fit in with the new scenario. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's a bit of a jump on my part, this is just a casual observation okay. out of the gate, is that I always think that if this was written with more thought to the world as it is ruled by Robotnik, is that this is probably have taken place in the Metropolis Zone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Simply because that's where Robotnik's, like, headquarters are. But uh, the Scrap Brain Zone works too. But again, it shows that bias towards Sonic 1 zones that Mark Miller's scripts always had. Exactly! I get the sense that Mark Miller hadn't, you know, didn't have Sonic 2 when he wrote this. There's even a chance that it wasn't really out yet, depending on how far back they'd planned to do this and got him to write some scripts. Our introductory caption in the Emerald Hill Zone is that we are looking at a rebel hideout in the Emerald Hill Zone. Even though what we're looking at is a stump of rock in the middle of a field. (laughs) It's otherwise the ordinary Emerald Hill Zone uh, landscape. Listen, I suppose if you were going to have your rebel hideout as the middle of an open field, Robotnik can't destroy it, can he? (laughs) It's the way they specifically stress our secret hideout is dissolving and stuff like that. And then we jump to the end of the story after they've defeated everybody and everything. The little rabbit that may or may not be Johnny Lightfoot says, Wait a minute, the Green Eater just ate our hideout. We're homeless. And Sonic has the cool idea to replace that with Terradroid's hollowed out body. Well, that's a fun ending for a single seven-page throwaway strip, but it's not a new hideout. No. I think that's the biggest tell for me. And it's not drawn like a hideout. No. It's drawn like a little jumbly house with all windows up it, like like the old woman who lived in the shoe. Just plonked in the middle of the the zone. So again, I think that's the biggest tell out of... Pretty yeah. much anything that we've that we've observed in these Miller scripts, that that was not what that was written to be. That's just written to be a new home for the folk of the Emerald Hill. And yes, because it's uh, pretty clear that what is dissolved is the Emerald Hill zone yeah. in general. But as I observed last issue, it happens to fit in with what had been going on in the preceding two issues, where uh, issue 13 had the Emerald Hill guys notionally building a hideout, and then Sonic yeah. mentioning a hideout this issue, and then here it gets destroyed. So yeah. now they're ready to move into Kinterbor's old laboratory, which is where their hideout will be when we finally see it in issue 21. That's right. I never really thought about it before, but there is... Well, I, it's not deliberate. I don't think it's on purpose, you know? I think it just it's just fortunate coincidence that it all happens to line up that way. Like, I'm sure yeah. when Nigel wrote the story in issue 14, he was already thinking ahead to the idea that their secret base would be Kinterbor's yes. laboratory. Because we know from that excerpt from the script for issue 6 that you read out that he sent mm. us in, that he was already thinking about Kinderbor's lab being the base back in issue six so yeah. that was obviously but the, and I, I don't even think necessarily that these edits if edits they indeed truly were and i do believe they were to Miller's scripts on either side of that were intended to introduce and then phase out the idea of i, I think it's just a massive coincidence that happens to read well if you look into it a little too much like we do <laughs> yeah And it does read well. You know, we did see them building what was always a bit confusing. Is it a hideout? Is it just a district of the Emerald Hill Zone? Mm. We don't have to worry about it anymore because it's gone. (laughs) Yep. I do quite like uh, Hadley Hadley's art on this one. Yes, me too. No, he previously drew the Evil Sonic Extra Life story in issue 13. And he'd always be a bit of a stalwart 
uh, Sonic, uh, the comic artist, for a while. He would uh, be sort of like an old reliable. He was never hugely consistent in his renderings of Sonic, and it's really obvious even in these seven pages how uh, Sonic's shapes and proportions are never quite the same twice. Also, pink legs all the way through. Did you notice that? I didn't, but you're right. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, he looks like... He lo- it makes him look naked. I don't like it. It does. It's like his trousers have fallen off. Yeah. And that, like, pink as in the sort of buff colour of his chest, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very strange. But there's a nice amount of um, kineticism, I thought, to this issue. Mm. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, like this, uh, this one panel here, for instance, where Sonic crashes into the Scrap Brain Zone and smashes like three badniks in a row in one big swooping arc. Like we've seen a couple of artists try to do something like that before and it hasn't really worked. He just always kind of looks like he's randomly ricocheting off them and the slightest contact <laughs> makes the robots burst open. Yeah. But here, yeah, there, there's a nice... He crashes through all of them and then hits the ground running straight ahead as well. It's a good uh, good physical representation of the character. Well, and that's... Yes, and, and that's... Um, now, not to side with the artists here, but Sonic is being a bit of an arse in this episode. The artists. And it happens... Yeah, <laughs> and it happens... Um, it uh, happens just there. Um, first of all, Flicky comes in to warn him what's going on. Sonic calls him Birdbrain, and then he, he runs off and basically sends all his friends flying like Skittles. I, I quite like that one, though, because it, oh, yeah, that, that's... it sort of it reaffirms the idea that Sonic's really fast, and you basically can't yeah. stop him once he's got it in his head to run somewhere. Yeah, it's just the the shockwave has sort of knocked them over a little bit. I don't hold that one against him. Birdbrain bit off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hadley doesn't quite have a handle on the like the style of the world so much. Like, you see a few badniks in here that are clearly supposed to be... Like, that guy right between <laughs> Terradroid's legs on the first page. That's obviously supposed to be a ball hog but it's not yes, quite I right. Yes, I thought that. But it, yeah. Or this one over here in the bottom left is supposed to be a caterpillar, but it's not quite oh, right. God, yeah. And then you look at these other generic ones, and they, they just don't look like badniks. You know, they look like yeah. little weirdo random 2000 AD droids. Uh, they don't look like sonic robots. The one, and this is the bit that harks back to the sort of fascist regime stuff from the earlier issue, where there's like a little round metal one with little ears that's going, I can't go on, and Terradroid's going, sing praise to the glory of Dr. Robotnik. And that's not a badnik. That's just like a little... No, it's not even... The badniks kind of look like certain animals, and this yeah. one is just a sort of a little round thing. It could have been in Thundercats or something. Just a little it? egg with ears. I mean, and it's also yeah. weird even that the badniks would be complaining about working. Yes. It's a kind of a Millery thing. Like, Miller has been prone to doing those bits where the badniks talk a bit more like people. Like, remember that, that gag in issue 12 about being made to listen to take that as punishment? Oh, <laughs> stuff, yeah. Stuff like that. That even... the idea that Robotnik is even cruel to his robots but that's mm. um that sort of veers a bit more towards the cartoonish villain yeah. sort of approach to the character and Kitching didn't really do that like the badniks were all baddies because they were made bad and they were happy to serve the baddie for badness you know <laughs> but uh, as much as Terradroid doesn't really look like a particularly great Sonic sort of design I think you do see that Hadley's own personal artistic uh, skills come through quite strongly in the character like look at this, this panel yeah. here um, on page four of where the other little animals start banging at his ankles as Sonic deals with the Green Eater. Yes. You really feel the weight and the sway of the big, heavy character in that panel, you know. He yeah. fills out the panel, his hand's just reaching outside the panel border, you feel like he could topple. And then and then at the end of the story, when he does go over, yeah, you really feel that... <laughs> as this huge guy do, hits the yeah. ground. It's, it's it's very successful in that Very, regard. very successful, yeah. It's so big as to kind of not fit. This robot is so big that he would be the final boss of a whole game. Yeah, yeah. 
You don't really get robots this big. Yeah, when you've got a robot like this, you don't need a green eater. And he really kind of takes the attention away from from the green eater. And by the way, now the way that Sonic destroys the machine itself, the green eater, is that he zips around around it and causes a tornado effect, which which causes it to explode. Which is a rerun, really, of what he did in the... um, Was it in the Oil Ocean Zone, or am I thinking of another one? Uh, Well, that was when he created the pressure tornado to put out a fire. But it's just another entertaining use of Sonic's speed as a tool to be used in different ways instead of just running fast and running into things. Although, I did have to sort of do a double take whenever he talks about running around it and then says he's gotta run faster than ever before and it's like mark you just wrote a story where he ran halfway around the planet in five <laughs> seconds this is not faster than he ever has run before yeah you're continuity right continuity and consistency mark miller oh, <laughs> you'll never get anywhere but, in comics with that attitude <laughs> <laughs> no chance but yeah between the tornado effect thing and the uh, you know i can't go on get up i'm not doing your share of the work it's starting to feel like an, a rerun this it's it's like a best of stuff that we've already seen in stg yeah, before you're not wrong. there's not a lot that's new in it it's quite workmanlike. Yeah. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's definitely one of the most forgettable Sonic stories, probably in the whole 15 issues we've had so far, to be honest. I had completely it forgotten it. Like yeah. when I opened it up, I was like, what? And, I, and I, I only really started to remember it when I saw that last panel of him turned into a house. Yeah. I, I do remember the defeat, and I did have I chuckled then and I chuckle now, where, you know, we've got this big, huge, towering guy who's yeah. uh, all the slightest attacks and things haven't phased him at all, and Sonic bears down on him, big full half-page panel of Sonic roaring directly towards yeah. him, we pull out for the Clint Eastwood-style shot where we see his feet on the ground and Sonic zooming towards him. It's a single panel of Sonic launching towards and ricocheting off his chest as he just laughs. Ha <laughs> ha, what a joke! That didn't even tickle! And then we see what Sonic has done. For it turns out that the unassuming little little speaker grill panel that has been on <laughs> droids right pack for the entirety of the story <laughs> houses his battery and that is the spot that sonic has hit and that is what sonic has come away with he has ripped out his battery in that little ricochet moment and i i feel like they very deliberately put it on the right one because if they put it on the left one sonic would have ripped out his heart that's the imagery we're looking <laughs> oh, at. oh yeah yeah you're not wrong yeah that might be a bit much yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, that's the little kind of cheeky twist that adds a little bit more um character to the whole proceeding i think but yeah, uh, I, I'd never really thought about it the way you described it there. But but uh, yeah, the idea that if you could have somehow put Teradroid and the Green Eater together in one entity, that would... If uh, it had been like a, a lumbering big green robot thing, but with maybe tire tracks and these pipes coming out of it. Yeah, that would have just added a little bit, just, just a bit more visual interest. Uh, it would have spiced up the premise a bit. Otherwise, it's, it's a very sort of limp, non-committal environmental tale that doesn't go far enough to be interesting or to even really commit to its own premise you know like it's not bad it's just so throwaway yes i suppose if you're yeah as you say if you're writing in an inherently environmental messaged cartoon world and you've got the story where they're doing bad things to the environment it's odd that the way you choose to depict that is just that some stuff gets floppy which is kind of a magical problem Mm. rather than Oh, the Green Hill Zone is dying. All the grass has gone and all of the green hills have gone. Oh, it's a, sorry, Emerald Hills. I beg pardon. And uh, then next issue, uh, a barely legible little next issue tag. Yes, it's, it doesn't in, have a box no around No box it. around just, it, just white ink on top of the white. art. Robotnik misses the Christmas spirit. It's Christmas, I'm boomers! Sure he does. Yeah! yeah! Oh, uh, one thing I ought to have mentioned. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the sign. 
On page yeah, one. Yeah, how do we know I'm saying I do like the zoo. Yeah. As we first meet the Green Eater. No, not the Green Eater. As we first meet the Terradroid. See, I can't even now yeah, right? accept that it is not the Green Eater. It's green. It's got a big mouth. Anyway, there's a sign visible in the Scrap Brain Zone that says, Robotnik picks his favourites. And when Sonic's dispatched the machine, he just crosses it out and turns it into Robotnik picks his nose. Womp womp. And I do like that. I like it. It's yeah. just the right level of cheeky. Yeah, that's the sort of uh, that's the sort of cheekiness that uh, you wouldn't really get in either, like a Lou or a Nigel script. That's a sort of uniquely Mark Miller sort of British Beano-y cheekiness. Yeah. That informed how Sonic would be depicted in STC, but didn't tend to overtake it the way it does here. But it is funny. <laughs> yeah, really the only Sonic I can see it fitting with is, apart from this one, of course, is probably the Adventures, Adventures one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can very much see him doing that. Although they would usually, I, I feel as if they would instead have a picture of Robotnik that he puts something silly on, yeah. rather than a, a something you have to read. You can draw glasses and buck teeth on it or something. Refuse Reviews this issue by another newcomer, Steve May and Vincent Lowe are the two newest boys in the review zone. And it's all (laughs) Mega CD on the first two pages. It's another three-page review zone this issue, but we've got Sonic CD, Sylphid, and Echo the Dolphin, all for the Mega CD. And those three are all by Vincent Lowe. Here in 2019, when the Sonic CD soundtrack was just released on collectible vinyl, uh, the intro is... Such a standard that we're now at the stage of discovering tiny details in it, like there's a hidden sneeze. Gosh, I know, right? I saw that. Jeez. <laughs> You'd be forgiven for believing that Sonic CD is one of the run-of-the-mill Mega Drive era Sonic games that we all remember, but it wasn't. It was rare, and it was special, and that is why I refuse to get a bit tired of seeing it getting a page to itself every other issue. <laughs> I know. Well, it was uh, it was special. I mean, it's even, it even simply in the sense that it is the first big and full and proper Sonic game to come out since this comic started, started being yeah. published. Yeah, Exactly. Um, I do feel like uh, Vincent Lowe's review is very low on detail, though. Uh-huh. Low on clarity. Yeah. You know, uh, to beat Dr. Robotnik, you not only have to work your way through many new zones, but you actually do some time traveling back to the past and into the future. But no explanation of the mechanic of how you accomplish that. No explanation yeah. of how you bopping the machines changes the future. It's uh, That's all they mention about the time travel, and that's basically the, the singular brand new mechanic of the entire game. Uh, yeah, they don't really say much here that they didn't say in the preview, did they? Which, yeah. which maybe leads me to believe that they're s- still working off some kind of press release rather than actually having a copy of it. I'm not sure. I think they probably do have a copy of it, but but um, maybe they didn't finish it. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it even directs the reader to go back to issue number nine and check out yeah. the special preview to see more. As an example of the vagueness of this review, like, we know what this means, because we've played it, but the part where he says Sonic has many additional new moves, like a speedy run. And also, that's the only new move, isn't it? Uh, Actually, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the way it's written here, it's just like, oh, in this game, Sonic can run fast, and that's new. What? No surprise, of course, that the game gets a 90%. And it deserves it. With brill graphics, sound, and playability. But uh, I'm completely fair con that there's not a lot that's new. And that's quite fair. And they do talk about the uh, they do talk about how good the soundtrack is. Mm. Um, the, it's one of my it, uh, it's one of my favourite albums, so I agree that the music is indeed fabby, as is described here. Fabby, yes. Recently, when they when they did release the uh, the music on on vinyl, and I was wondering about getting it, 
Um, because, you know, on my computer I've only got these old jangly MP3s that somebody made years ago for Girl Party Hotel or something. I um, nearly bought it on vinyl. That would have been 35 quid. And then I, the only reason I held back was because they've changed the order of the tracks into something oh. that they feel makes more sense, but I disagree. Um, and then I found out that there was a, some sort of anniversary release of it on CD, but that's going for... Well, it might be... I think it's more than 50 quid, but it might be more than 100, because that's quite rare. And I only... I just thought, look, I'm just going to try this. And I just popped my actual copy of Sonic CD into the disk drive, expecting, like, because I remember doing this when I was a kid, and I used to just listen to it like an album, but then, when technology overtook our CD players mm. and they started having BIOSes, it wouldn't play the CD anymore, because, of course, the first track is uh, digital noise, and it would recognise that as a, as a, a game disc and go like, well, not playing this then. But no, I'm pleased to say you can just pop your Sonic CD into your CD or DVD or Blu-ray drive, and you can just rip it to iTunes, so oh, nice. that's what I've done. Yay! So, no need for fancy editions. You can just get your old copy of the game or presumably pick one up from eBay for cheap. They're also full of praise for Sylphheed and Echo the Dolphin. They are. Both on the Mega CD. Yeah, Sylphheed, I've had a look at it. Vincent is extremely excited by this. He just thinks it's the best thing he's ever seen. He can't believe how great it is. I feel like they're overselling the graphics. I don't know. I looked it up on YouTube and actually it's very impressive. It is genuinely a complete 3D game, which not just, you know, never mind the Mega CD. The Saturn wasn't built for that, huh. but it, it manages it. It kind of looks like um, Star Fox is the closest thing I'd compare to. That's what the visuals struck me as being quite reminiscent of. Yeah, it's impressive. It's good 3D. It is fast. Not the sort of game I'd be interested in, but in terms of mm. the visuals. I remember the name being thrown around a lot back in the day. Yeah, same. Mm. I'm actually quite surprised to find that it was a Mega CD game. I always thought it was older than that. Oh, well, no, I remember it in conjunction with the Mega CD. Because all this stuff was weird and alien to me, not having a Mega CD. <laughs> Yes, I wonder what I don't know what the name means, but it sounds kind of alien, doesn't it? Still, we must find the Sylphide. I don't even really think I knew how to pronounce the name properly back in the day. Neither, no, neither do I. I have no idea. Or uh, it was the same as like uh, Panzer Dragoon was that other yeah another game around the same time where the name of it fascinated me. What's a dragoon? What's a Sylphide? That one was a confusing one because I think I think dragoon is a kind of soldier, but of course when you're a kid you're like well, it's just dragon spelt weird. Yeah, exactly. And you do yeah. have a dragon in that there game. Is, yeah. I thought there was a dragon in it. Yeah, that was probably where... Yeah, I think, yeah, same sort of shared experience on that one. Full of praise for the music and sound on uh, Echo on the Mega CD as well. It had uh, Q sound. Q sound. I've never heard of that. It sounds like the 1990s equivalent of 5.1. Well, it was a uh, a sort of stereo wide, I believe, yeah, where they trick you into, you know... They do a funny stereo effect that makes it sound like the sound is coming from all around you a bit. I'll tell you who I favour in this issue, though, and that is Mr. Steve May. Because these two reviews of his on the third page... Yeah, they've got real character to them, haven't they? They really do, yeah. But that was the second thing I noticed. Because the first thing I noticed was that PGA Tour Golf for the Game Gear and Master System gets only 54%. In the official Sega comic, they were allowed to say something was a bit poo. Well, and they say, in you know, in the Raves and Graves section, Raves is <laughs> plug it in and it works. Which is like saying, yeah, if you play the game, it will run. And the Graves is done. 
dull, 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 dull. And this is clearly a guy who has the knowledge too. Yeah. Because the comparisons he's drawing. Yep. He's saying like, um, the developer can't blame the humble master system for the weak display because they can compare it to Sega's own Golf Mania from another 8-bit console, I presume the master system, as proof that you can still make a good golf game for this system. He's clearly got yeah. the knowledge. He's clearly got the flavor. Yeah, he knows a lot about this. Weird that we're down to a stage where we're reviewing the reviews, but <laughs> but uh, I really liked his reviews, and I'm going to keep an eye out for the name. Yeah, and, and since we started doing this, I've been finding out who Tony Takushi is, and he's mm. exactly the sort of guy that this guy writes like, where he has this, this huge amount of knowledge about Sega stuff that does genuinely go above and beyond anything the rest of us know about, and he was there in the room at so many interesting stages of everything. But this guy, I looked him up, and I, could, I, I think I found him, of course it's quite an ordinary name, so there could be other guys, but yeah. he's a tech writer, but I can't find anything about him knowing or writing about games. So that must have been something he dabbled with in the past and then hasn't really felt the need to bring up again since. But yeah, he, he writes with all the authority of someone who knows absolutely everything about it. Yeah. The other review is for Gauntlet 4 on the Mega yes. Drive, the classic arcade game Gauntlet. To be honest, he, he writes so authoritatively here that uh, I feel like I could have done with more information on the history of Gauntlet because it's not something I was very familiar with at the time. Well, the opening paragraph... Mm. It honestly reads like an advert, and yeah. I'm going to read it like an read advert because I'm imagining the I'm imagining the cool Sega dude guy from the adverts. Imagine him yeah. uh, against the background of interesting things happening, and he says, "Techno music." Your head spins like a mega CD. Your heart beats faster than a shaman dance track. The slap of demon feet and the chill wind of ghostly breath is closing in all around you. Press pause. Just when you thought that this particular arcade adventure had passed its sell-by date, you're lured back into the dank, dark, decidedly dodgy dungeon depths of Gauntlet, the never-ending maze of a mystery game. That's how adverts were written in yeah. those days. Yeah, and it's also in complete contradiction to the closing in the graves, which say that it's actually been done to death already. Yeah. Uh, the verdict, fine, even if it is about as fresh as a week-old Pop-Tart. <laughs> Oh, and in the Echo review, check out Echo's sexy legs again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Echo's sexy yeah. legs. It's that same picture of Echo with the sexy legs. Currently the sexiest dolphin. <laughs> Echo, the sexiest dolphin. Echo the Dolphin, part three. Written by Woodrow Phoenix. Art by Steve White. Letters by Tom Frame. Echo is plucked from the ocean by a pterodactyl, but the animal proves to be a friend who takes Echo to a glyph floating in the skies above. The glyph informs Echo that the ones responsible for abducting his fellow dolphins are aliens who harvest the animals of Earth's ocean for food. Instructed to go to the sunken city of Atlantis to learn more, Echo returns to the ocean and outraces a prehistoric carnivorous fish to reach another glyph that sends him back to his home time. Steve White! Steve White! They trailed the fact that the art was going to change on this. Yeah. Twice in the previous issue, in fact, talking yeah. about Echo's new look. But I don't think that I internalized that back in the day, because I remember right. looking upon the Echo strip, this issue, back in 1993, and going, Whoa! This is all different! Yeah. And uh, it is It is very different. It's much... um. Much more pastel-y. It's a very... I mean, it's fully painted to the extent that things do not have ink outlines anymore at all. Mm. And also, uh, Steve White... I mean, I'm trying to avoid 
I'm trying to avoid saying it because it's so obvious, but he uses white. He uses a lot of white. And this yeah. was always my... I think later he actually colours Richard, and I found that to be very white-based as well. Sure. So here what we have is a very, very light-coloured... Um, is it painted or is it pastels? It might just actually be pastels. Know. Yeah, it could be pastels. Uh, it's not coloured pencil, but there is a texture at play that puts one in mind of pencil sometimes as well. Yeah, it's just very pretty. And, mm. you know, the, the, the dolphin is rather more dolphin-shaped now. It's a, like, yeah, it's a little bit awkward in certain panels here and there. Like, that first panel is is not a great showcase, honestly. The, the the fin echoes yeah. fin really feels like it's way too far down his back, for instance. Yeah, because it has to fit in between the, between the feet the of the pterodactyl. pterodactyl. And even the pterodactyl doesn't doesn't seem like it's quite symmetrical with itself. Yeah. It's not a perfect first panel or anything, but the, the standard quickly rises in a very short space of time. Yeah. Uh, we were talking last issue about how the previous artist was not really uh, up to the task of environments whenever Echo arrived in prehistoric times and we saw that the, the backgrounds were just a, like a row of triangle volcanoes and then you yeah. look at these gorgeous vistas that the, that Steve White is creating here. Yeah, beautiful billowing clouds of of white and blue and pink as the sun refracts through them, with birds casting shadows against them. Views of the prehistoric landscape, or this shot where Echo hits the water again, and and this Dutch angle of the glyph yeah. sticking out of the seabed, and it's all in green. You know, like somebody you might be compelled to do it blue, but he's done it green, yeah. and it's um, you really feel the whip of the creatures through the water and the uh, yeah. the weeds up from the bed just dancing in the in the currents it's uh, it's lovely stuff i uh, i looked him up and um he's a writer and he wrote transformers and yes. ghostbusters he is listed on wikipedia as a british comic book writer occasional colorist and paleo artist oh really and further on down it says white is also a talented illustrator specializing in drawing dinosaurs well there you go he has edited and published several newer books about paleo art so yeah that makes total sense because that's exactly what he's bringing to the table oh, here he a was real... absolutely headhunted for this then wasn't he stop I can't believe we missed this, and the fact that we missed it makes me kind of hesitant to say it now in case we're wrong, but this is the guy who drew Kid Chameleon in a completely different art style, and who, in the previous issue, drew Sonic in a different art style again. So that's three separate art styles for this one artist just in Sonic the Comic so far. That's interesting, isn't it? I don't know how we missed that. All right, bye. It's got a sort of, you know, Dinotopia vibe to it, this, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, they're love. I mean, and this is at the height of Dinomania, obviously. If yeah. You the, yeah, they're lovely-looking creatures. Yeah. And the way that you can tell that they're good is you don't necessarily know what type of dinosaur they are when you look at them. <laughs> because that means they were drawn by somebody who knows what they're doing and not somebody who, like we saw last issue, is just drawing the dinosaur models that we all owned as kids. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we, we spotted the toy everybody had, didn't we? Yeah. What this art does is it helps to redefine the comic because I found it a bit, you know, just sort of boring before. Whereas now you are reading illustrations of dinosaurs mm. and there happen to be speech balloons tying it all together. And I found even the reading to make more sense. Oh, because last issue, weren't you drawing that comparison with nature books and animal books? How um, the dialogue has that sort of unearthly sort of nature booky yes. verbosity. I, uh, yeah, you know, I never put it together like that. 
And now it fits. I don't yeah. find that distracting anymore. It, it completely meshes with what we're looking at, which is so... It is so nature documentary looking. It just really clearly establishes its own tone in the artwork here so that then the script works with it very well. I am pretty sure White would... uh, There were two Echo strips, and to my memory, White would draw all of the rest of it. There were elements that I did enjoy about the previous two chapters, but uh, issue two definitely illustrated the weaknesses uh, in a Mm. way that the first part didn't when we read it and when we talked about it. Um, And I don't think there's any question this was a change for the better. And it really it helped uh, help the strip assume its final form, where everything really just clicked mm. with this. It does raise the question, doesn't it? Why was the artist changed? Was mm. it because they wanted different art, or was it just because something randomly happened? One guy ran out of time, or maybe the, uh, honestly, if I was let's okay, so imagine this: you're commissioning the Echo the Dolphin strip, early era STC. You're trying to get everything to be interesting and different to each other. I think you would look for someone like this yeah. right from the off. Yeah. So I wonder if this guy just wasn't available for Maybe a while. that's it. Yeah, maybe they always wanted him and they just had to have a yeah. fill-in. Uh, it's funny because I noticed as well that Woodrow Phoenix did the lettering on the previous two yes. issues, but now it's Tom Frame doing it as well. So, oh. so virtually, except for Phoenix's script, which is the important thing that ties it all together and keeps it keeps it flowing, yeah. the whole visual identity of the comics changed. Yeah, they've hit the right identity for this comic. Yeah. And we get these little touches of, of language that we've talked about before as well, like uh, uh, the pterodactyl lifts echo, you are the strange mammal I was told of. Do not fear me. I am to take you to the one who waits. Which was our tag yes. at the end of the last issue, the one who waits. Oh. And it's just a glyph, you know. And then Echo activates the glyph with his sonar pulse and it tells him to um, go to Atlantis. And he says, a city where tailless dry ones dwell. And, like, <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then the glyph goes, yes, men Men who built me and my sister glyphs and filled us with their wisdom. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the sort of comic this is. And yeah. now it, it all works now. Um, a slight break from that when a kind of prehistoric killer whale comes after him going, Arr! I know, right? That's that's back to um, back to the sharks in the first issue and that land before tiny sort of feel where oh. our hero is the thinking creature who yes. is just a person in an animal skin and the baddies, the baddie animals are the shark teeth, <laughs> are the monsters, the uh, this ancient hunter, Echo calls it. They are just the growling meat-eating monsters. They're not They're not people like our heroes are. I mean, that's probably problematic if you really boil it down to its base element. <laughs> and so there we go. That's what we have now. We have this gentle nature documentary comic, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how they carry that through what is obviously going to have to turn into something more like a story soon. I said the, the next issue tag is The White Hunter, and that reminded me of what the next chapter is. Because oh. uh, I, I remember this one. The, the next chapter is, by any fair analysis, it's kind of fillery. It doesn't take uh, us on to the next stage of Echo's adventure, but it is super nature documentary-ish. Ah, uh, so, good. So, yeah. yeah. So That's what go. I want now. I want, I'm looking forward to the artwork, basically. News a full page almost given over to the Eternal Champions that we heard about last week. Yes, and it's quite enticing. I find myself falling for this 
advertising copy here. Yeah, they, they were pushing it. They were pushing it hard. Yeah, the angle they're going with is that, um, yes, we know it's not Street Fighter 2, but listen up, you guys. This one's made for home console, mm. whereas Street Fighter 2 is a compromised port. And they lean heavily on uh, the characters. They, we get a little um, paragraph bio of each of the one, two, three, we four, do. Six, and nine characters. You know, so they knew that one of the keys to Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat successes was the characters. So they, yeah. they, they, they work hard to distinguish them and give them their own unique things. As I've said before, every character in Eternal Champions was somebody's fetish. <laughs> From uh, from the half man half cyborg from 2345 AD to the corporate assassin ninja from the present day to the amphibian gladiator from Atlantis, especially that one. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Don't think we really learned much that we haven't uh, learned before, but we are reminded that Eternal Champions is likely to be one of the hot games of 1994, and STC will be bringing you lots more information about the characters, the game, and some mega surprises we've got up our sleeves. Ooh, I wonder what that could be. They haven't said it yet, no. but they're gonna do a, a strip. Yeah, so they're quite invested in Yeah, well, they're so invested, they get a whole summer special of their own. Oh, God, I definitely yeah. didn't buy that. Well, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. We'll be doing oh, it. yeah. So, <laughs> look forward to that bonus episode, folks. Okay, uh, Beans Means Robotnik. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Robotnik's Bean Bean Machine. Uh, by the way, listeners, that was the slogan. Beans Means Heinz was the slogan for Heinz Baked Beans before our time, but, you know, continuing on into perpetuity. A million housewives every day Pick up a tin of beans and say Beans Means Heinz Still is now, right? I think it is, or if not, then it's so ingrained into the public consciousness that they f don't need to say it out loud anymore. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I like that they stress, even here, that this is a redo of Puyo Puyo. Puyo Puyo, yes. You would have thought that they would be under some pressure to not reveal that. But actually, no, they're very open about it and, and they're telling us exactly yeah. what it is. I remember being a bit weirded out by this back at the time. Not specifically that it was a Dr. Robotnik game, but just the fact that Sonic had no presence in it at all and he was yeah. harassing the beans from Beanville. <laughs> Honestly, the uh, the copy stresses. <laughs> I liked this game a lot. Did you play it back in the day? No, I played a different Puyo version yeah. on the Amiga uh, called Super Foul Egg. Oh, but I played the life out of that. It seems like the sort of game that sort of should have been forgotten by history, yeah. but it's good, so it just sort of hasn't. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Puyo Puyo is a good game. Slap any skin you like on it. This one's a Robotnik and mm. uh, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog skin. Uh, we, in fact, we can see the screenshot of, of them fighting against the first robot. I'm pretty sure that mm. robot is in the Supersonic Search and Smash Squad episode. I think all of the robots yeah. in Mean Bean Machine are background characters created for that. Maybe just that one episode and nothing more but yeah. yes i think they're all in that first episode yeah sega packs them in we have an advert yeah. for the fact that you can buy the mega drive in lots of different box sets now so uh, many different absolutely boxes. loads I, I was always under the impression that there would have been like one at a time but yeah here we've got listed all sorts we've got the aladdin pack 129 pounds which gives you the mega drive 2 and aladdin and two control pads generous two control pads yeah. well two control pads is the standard on all of these it looks like that's right and i find that surprising you know these days they would just give you the one and expect you to buy another separately oh, these days sure yeah back then though I two pads I think was pretty standard wasn't it? of course you look at the mini consoles and they do all come with two pads oh do they oh that's nice yeah uh, Sonic Pack, £139. That's Sonic 1 and 2. That's a nice pack. Street Fighter Pack, 149 Bit on the dear side. Street Fighter 2 Special Champion Edition. The Good, the Bad and the Ugly Pack, which comes with Sonic 2. Good. 
<laughs> the Terminator? Is that bad? I guess. And James Bond. The Ugly? Who was Bond at this point? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't... Who are they having a go at? <laughs> Marvel Pack, X-Men, Captain America. Unbelievable Value Pack, which comes with... Uh, fair, yeah. Uh, this is the least interesting one, though. Italia 90, Super Hang-On, Columns, John Madden's Football, EA Hockey, Leaderboard Golf. Why didn't they call it like a sports pack? I know, right? No, but the thing is, right, Italia 90, Super Hang-On, and Columns were all on a cart together. Oh. I know, because I had that cart. Mm-hmm. I think the pack I must have got with my Mega Drive one two years before this, yeah. it must have been a Sonic and that pack. Because I had that right. Italian 90 super hang on in columns. And finally, the wet and wild. No, sorry, the wild and wet pack, which has Italian 90 super hang on columns. Echo the dolphin. There's the wet. Tasmania. And there's the wild. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm not so interested in the Master System bundles. The thing that strikes me about the Master System packs is how cheap they are. £49 for a Master System and Sonic the Hedgehog. £69 for a Master System and Sonic 1 and 2. I, the Master System must have been on its way. Absolutely. This Ni- late 93. End of 93. Yeah, they still made games for it. I mean, it's weird that they did because the Mega Drive's been out since, what, 1989 or something? I mean, then you look at the Game Gear packs. £100 a piece. So you're paying twice the price nearly for a Game Gear compared to the cheapest Master System pack. One of those packs, there's the Attack pack that's got Streets of Rage and Shinobi as well as Columns. That's actually that's a, that's a yeah. enticing little pack for 99 quid. But then the Puzzle pack, that's the one I would have had because it comes with Popills. Popills. The best game on the Game Gear. Lovely little puzzler. Don't think I know Popples. It's, um, I mean, I remember Popples, the old toys. Yes. Where you no. rolled them up into a ball, but it's not that. It's, it's not that. It's, oh, <laughs> imagine this. On the screen is you, a little princey man. There's a little princessy lady walking back and forth. You're each one block tall, as it were. And the whole screen is made up of different blocks. Some of them are just boxes, some of them are spikes, some of them are ladders. And you have to just get to her. And the trick is that you can't just walk there. You have to punch blocks to make them fall down. And you have to think ahead, like, if I punch this, what's going to fall down to where? And what path will that create through where? It's very good, and it came with a level editor. One of the, perhaps the first game I ever saw that did. It's really good. What sounds like less fun is virtual racer. Well, it's just racing, isn't it? It's just racing, but this is that one where they had this impossible 3D arcade chip. So they tried to develop yeah. a working version of it that could go in the Mega Drive. And then, eventually, power Sonic 3, which was going to be Sonic 3D. Not the one we actually got, but a fully-fledged 3D Sonic game. It says... Virtual racing is everything the arcade game is and more. Incredible as it may sound, this game is blindingly fast and, believe it or not, actually faster than the arcade game. With exactly the same tracks as the coin-op version. There's a word I, I miss. Ah. We used to call arcade games coin-ops in those days. And when they got ports to home systems, they were called, you know, da-da-da, the coin-op. Notably, Turtles, the coin-op. There we are. Uh, $100 in the United States and £70 in the United Kingdom. Oh, so it does come out. It does come out. Renders 9,000 polygons a second. Well, there you are. Yep, I'm going to presume that's good. (laughs) I know. But it just, it was too expensive. It was too hard to get it to run. So even though apparently they did a wonderful job of it, that technology pretty much died on its arse there. 
short bursts, short we've bursts. got the first Sonic video is released. Already? I mean, I mean yeah. the copy says as much, but I was shocked. Yeah, it's only been a couple of weeks since it's been on TV, and they're already bringing out a cassette with the first three episodes on. Well, and it is worth pointing out as excitingly soon after the TV show starts, but that was not actually all that unusual. I remember in the cases both of Mighty Max and Where's Wally, the videos actually came out before it started airing on British TV. Oh, of course, they've been enough. going in America for however long. Yeah. I was a little surprised that it was only eight ninety nine. Yeah, no, that was... I remember that that is the price of that sort of video. The uh, the, the films were 12 or eleven ninety nine, and then, yeah, just cartoons and short pieces were eight ninety nine. Oh, you have a clearer memory of videos than I do, because uh, my memory of videos is they were big, expensive things. <laughs> I mean, I was deep into them, you know. There was, yeah, yeah sit, sitting down to a video was a, certainly in the summer holidays when you've got to come up with something to put on in front of your eyes when you're having lunch every single day. Yeah, no, I was always browsing the videos at Woolies and uh, Children's World and so on. And then we've got Pinball Magic Dragon's Revenge is the follow up to the classic pinball game Dragon's Fury. And Tengen claimed that it retains all the superb gameplay of the original with the additions of my. I looked this up, it actually looks really good. Oh, okay. It is a pinball game. But what they've done is the pinball table is crawling with baddies. There's little zombie monsters walking around and little warlocks and so on. And you basically are trying to bash them with your pinball. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Because these are the same guys I just noticed. Who, the the badly reviewed uh, golf game. Oh, really? <laughs> Tengen. <laughs> but, uh, but I guess they weren't all bad. Well, Tengen, they made Poppils. Tengen had quite a storied history behind them, so I wonder if um, just different teams were making different games. And Stealth Flight! F117 Nightstorm, the first Mega Drive flight sim to feature the sinister Stealth Fighter, the most technically advanced strike aircraft in the world. Well, that sounds very exciting, but I looked it up and it's nothing compared to Sylphie. <laughs> Get sylphied instead. This is a very slow and clunky attempt at something of a simulator where you're in the cockpit of a vehicle and you're flying around and it's just very slow and boring looking. Could never get on with those kinds of games at all, to be honest with you. No. Just a well, we got a double page spread that's three quarters just some adverts, to be precise. <laughs> yes. Kicking it off is the STC and Psygnosis present the Pugsy Gold Grab. This that's right. is our contest, as promised on the front of the comic. Yep, we're going to get a gold disc of mm, Pugsy, okay. I've never played Pugsy, was it? I'm, your tone is not filling me with confidence. So, actually, Pugsy is worth more of a look than it got. Oh, okay. It's, um quite an interesting thing some guys just made an amiga demo and by that in this case i mean not a playable demo of a game but just an animation you would sit down and watch and it had and it was just of this little alien crashing to earth or landing on earth and or something and just having to wander about on earth and interact with things in a comedy way so there's a dog that bites his hand off there's i can't remember any others but there's all sorts of things he's just walking through town doing amusing things all set to a piece of music that those of us who were around at the time recognised as uh, having eventually turned up in Lemmings. They took this to uh, some kind of trade show and Psygnosis, everyone else had turned them down, Psygnosis looked at it and went, this is exactly what we need. And they signed them up and they started making this Pugsy game. And it was going to be, well, it was going to be a bit ahead of its time because now... The, the people who were making it have looked at Little Big Planet and they were saying, yeah, that, that's what we were trying to make mm -hmm. in 1992 or whatever it was. But actually what happened was they got taken off the project because it was just not working. It just wasn't happening. And uh, some other guys who went on to become Traveller's Tales oh. 
Unless it's the first lot of people that turned into Traveller's Tale. I think it was the second lot. Made it into something that was basically dizzy, but with a physics engine. So you were picking up items and stacking them on top of each other and seeing how long you could go with that. It's quite an interesting game. There's all sorts of interesting stuff in it. But um, yeah, when that team was dissolved, the guys who made Pugsy, I think they were just distributed around other areas of Psygnosis, and that is how Tim Wright did the music, ended up on Lemmings, doing the music for Lemmings, and put the uh, put the Pugsy tune in it. So Pugsy is deeply embedded in a sort of spider web of uh, notable video game events. Yeah, the actual outcome of it, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but when I saw, for instance, this, I would have looked at it and gone like, oh yeah, Pugsy. I recognize that that's a person from games, but I, that was it. I feel like I did recognize him back in the day. I, I genuinely don't know if I've ever thought about him since reading this issue. Probably did, because the game's probably reviewed in a future issue. But uh, outside of that... Well, it was reviewed terribly in something like Amiga Power, uh, some quite popular magazine, and so it tanked. But Pugsy himself turned up in stuff going forward. There's a statue of him in uh, Wiz and Liz, which I keep no, going on about, yeah. that has a plaque underneath it that reads... Something like, you know, Pugsy got a raw deal, or something oh. like that. Well, the prize for this is a Mega Drive and Mega CD combo and an exclusive copy of the Mega CD version of Pugsy on a gold disc signed by the programmers. It's a very unlikely game to get a Mega CD release. Yeah. Try and find that in your local Woolies. Nope, don't bother, you can't. <laughs> It says here. I love that. I know, right? I did have a wee chuckle. Don't you just find it so calming to read references to Woolies? Like, <laughs> I know I'm just an old man shouting at a cloud here, but reading references to when the world made sense, <laughs> it's like being thrown a rubber ring and not a lifesaver, a rubber ring. Our audience definitely seemed to appreciate our extended digression to talk about Woolworths <laughs> several issues ago. So oh, I'm glad. I'm sure there's plenty of people who... Uh, feel the same way it just it to have a little reference like that wow try and find that in your local woolies it feels like the grown-ups are back uh, so this is another one of those write your answer on a postcard or sealed down envelope and the first correctly answered one plucked from the remains of the stc christmas party will receive the prize but i love the question because it's another snapshot in time isn't it this question oh yeah what's wow. the name of sonic's home planet such a simple question to ask in 1993. Yeah. Oh, the controversies that would erupt if you tried to make that the question to a quiz now. Very, very controversial, yeah. What's the answer? Planet Freedom, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a... The bottom half of that page is taken up for a Subutio advert. Subutio, by the way, I suppose, maybe uh, international younger listeners might know. Oh, yeah. Table football. Table football. You flick little little men and balls around on a table. They're on little hemispheres, the little men, so when you flick them, they go spinning off, and they, they there's a certain amount of uh, life of their own that they might take on as to where they're going to end up. And they kick around little balls, and uh, this is an advert for little balls, specifically the Umbro Elite balls, around £1.00. 40 and then and then the whole right hand side is devoted yeah. to fantastic dizzy my lovely little eggy friend dizzy i can't think of another game that ever advertised its treehouse survival but this one does it these uh yeah these captions at first i thought like so down the left hand side of the page is uh, five tv screens that show uh snapshots of the game and i thought they were the names of levels at first treehouse survival castle attack shipwrecked dragon's lair but then the last caption is spooky Exclamation mark. Clone Castle! <laughs> Dizzy is a, a little cartoon adventure where you wander around in a 
kind of fantasy land. And look, it says arcade adventure. Yeah. It's interesting to see something like Dizzy, which we all think of, including me, a, a diehard fan of Dizzy. We all think of it as something a little bit homegrown and a little bit yeah. janky and, and old-fashioned and nobody had ever heard of it by the time of this. But it's getting, you know, I mean, of course, they're picking and choosing their, their quotes and their scores, but you've got a 90%, a 92%, lots of praise. Yeah, yeah. And Pugsy, uh, when I was reading about it today, they went straight to, yeah, it was a Dizzy-style game. So there is this little time in history when Dizzy made a little mark and then just yeah. vanished without a trace. And that was what was happening because this was his last big release. When you look at it, really, it is a nice little uh, two-page spread of uh, uniquely British touches, isn't it? Pugsy, Dizzy, and Sabutu. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Not not a single one of which, as far as I'm aware, made any kind of inroads into American culture. <laughs> Golden Axe! Plague of Serpents, Part 3, written by Mark Isles, art by Mike White, letters by Ellie DeVille. When Gilius doesn't defend himself against the plant-conjuring magics of Yuki Plant Charmer, Tyrus steps in to subdue her, until Gilius explains that Yuki is his hot-headed little sister. With Gilius unable to dissuade Yuki from joining him, the two siblings head into the labyrinth below to rescue the Dwarf Queen, but their approach is observed by a snake who alerts Cobraxis. The wizard priest Viprax is sent to intercept the two dwarves and bars their way with an army of magical rainbow snake monsters. This issue, uh, Golden Axe is just being silly and having fun, isn't it? It, it is. We have progressed to full-blown just being silly and having fun. <laughs> Yuki leaps at Gilius, double-bladed <laughs> axe in hand, and then instead just casts magic on it and entwines him with vines. <laughs> and like, he's aghast. He calls her the poo farmer. That's the first thing anyone says in this yes. issue. The, the poo, poo farmer. farmer! Not you! But all she does is wrap him in vines, and Tyrus tackles her to the ground. What's wrong? She's attacking you! Why didn't you fight her? <laughs> And uh, and Gilius is just eating the grapes off the vines, as he explains. He's just a Gilius head poking out of a big grape vine bush. Big bushel of vines. You can let her go, meet my quiet little sister. I didn't know you had a sister. Glad to see she's got your charm and good manners. Want some grapes? <laughs> it's ever so fun. Um, so, I've got a mouthful of hobnob, hang on. Not the only hobnob reference they will be on this podcast. I know, that's, that's what <laughs> right. put it into my head. Um, so we're hearing now about Yuki Plant Charmer and Silpantia Dragon Tamer. Names where the, the first name is a name, and then the second name is a sort of description of the thing they do. And I wonder if yeah. this is an attempt to backsplain the name Axe Battler. Yeah, because he battles. Yeah. Gilius Thunderhead, not so much, because his power is rocks and earth, not thunder and lightning. Exactly, whereas you would think that the way that they're angling it, that's a dwarf's thing. All the dwarfs yeah. have a name of what they do, but no, not Thunderhead. Because the dwarf elder is named, he's not renamed here, but last issue he was Growlus Stormbreaker. And that's another very um, stormy, thundery sort of name. Oh, but yes. then they get Plant Charmer and Dragon Tamer, so there's no real rhyme or reason. But they're nice fun-sounding names. It's nice, so faux-dramatic names. They've got that um, ever-so-slightly uh, thudding-along Mark Isles dialogue here, you know, <laughs> where we uh, we restate everything we knew already because it's the first part of a new chapter, you know. Oh. Your priority is to rescue Queen Silpantia Dragon Tamer from the High Priest Cobraxis and his snake cult. <laughs> there's a service shaft which should get you to the Hammerinth Unseen. Then the immediate next, there's a service shaft that should get you to the Hammerinth Unseen. Later, in a service shaft leading down to the Hammerinth, the maze of caverns, which lies below 
rock art. Yeah, that like, is the next panel, isn't it? Wind it back now. <laughs> and then within that same exact panel, the dialogue is, Cabraxis will have stolen all our enchanted metal. Asterisk. And then in the caption box, Cabraxis wants to steal the dwarf's enchanted metal. <laughs> All right, right, cool, thanks. She literally just said it. You might as well have them go, hurry up, we need to get down there. Asterisk, lifts can take you down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then they get to the bottom and they don't see him because they're moving forward. But behind them, we see Axe still on the spell of the snake, (laughs) staggering along, hypnotized. And, and, you know, before we were getting, must obey, I obey. And now he comes out with, Dave, I feel like you should take this. I feel like you're going to deliver this better than I could. (laughs) Well, okay. But it's basically, Hey, hey, dum dum da um dum dum He's just walking along making noises to himself. We get a close-up panel of him going, Day gabba gabba hip, which is nothing. <laughs> nothing. He's just making little bubbly babbly noises to himself. And like last issue, it factors into nothing again in this chapter. So I, I don't remember yeah. exactly how it unfolds. It's just it's a cutaway to like, oh, where's Axe Battler? Meanwhile, <laughs> then it just cuts back to the rest of the story. It's yeah. brilliant. Again, the art by Mike White is as lovely as ever. Oh, yeah. Lovely, high-contrast, painterly fantasy look. But if this was a TV program or a cartoon or something, and it just did... uh, Because it's me, I'm imagining, you know, the Transformers scene flip. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Come back to something else entirely again. You couldn't not cackle with laughter at it. Yeah. Oh, it's it's really funny. It's really funny. The comics being really silly. It, like I quite like the comment that Gilius gives to his sister, whose whose power is making plants appear and fighting. So he describes it as having a black belt in flower arranging. That's great. She calls him Gilly Willy, and yeah. uh, and then we get then we cut to a, a just very very silly Cabraxis who's just being extremely silly now. Yeah, it's getting sillier and sillier. Like we've talked before about how he has this this silly high pitched giggling. He's yeah. very <laughs> very giggly. So this snake sees uh, Gilius and and Yuki approach. Weirdly enough, it can talk. Yep, <laughs> yep. it's uh, just a snake, but it goes oh, just a snake, but it can talk. Whatever. Cobraxis. And uh, so it slithers up to let Cobraxis know that he it spotted them. And Cobraxis is outraged to be interrupted as he's tormenting the queen. And he says, No, I'll have to punish you. And he doesn't just go he he or he he he. Mm-hmm. He goes he he ho. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what is what is that? Hee-hee-ho. Very, very strange. It is weirdly cartoonish. I, I th- Again, I think part of it is down sort of to the way that, that Iles has chosen to write it. Yep. Automatopoeically, so to speak. Now I'll have to punish you, hee-hee-ho. Hee-hee is like... <laughs> but hee-hee-ho is like... <laughs> yeah. You know, if performed in a certain way, there is a sinister energy that can be drawn out of the words on the page. Yeah. But they are just words on a page. So the snake delivers the message. It's important news. It's important that the villains know the goodies are coming to stop them. Two intruders approaching the Northern Service Passage. And Cobrex says, I hate bad news. So he punishes the snake for bringing him bad news and interrupting him anyway. Now for your punishment, little spy. Squeezy. Squeezy. <laughs> you know, and you do get the impression he has throttled the snake to death. Yeah, he's not just purely someone who hates everyone who isn't himself because he loves this high priest guy 
Dear sweet Viprax. Yeah. So we have this guy who's, again, it's another balding guy because all these priests are bald. Yeah. But this one's got a wicked little body goatee yes. and headband and kip. Yeah. And he runs off to fight Yuki and Gilius. And they can almost certainly defeat this one cultist. But oh no, yeah. he's got a bag of confetti. Magic rainbow snake dust. <laughs> and you see a close-up of it. And it, it is confetti. It's little different colored strips, yeah. which when flung turn into not just snakes but kind of ghost snakes with big arms yeah they're i presume they're solid so they're not just like ghosts but they are glowing as yeah. if that yeah but they have big clawed arms viperi arcus pluvius opugnant <laughs> just lets out this big nonsense <laughs> chant as he throws a handful of the confetti and they <laughs> don't know that there is actually much more to say about golden axe than that it's just well, silly and having a bit of fun and uh, restating the obvious and cutting away to restate things we already knew a lot but the art continues to be lovely and it's less that sort of deadpan disconnectedness now that it used to have and more what feels like a sort of tonally inappropriate for the art sense of creepy humor <laughs> that's crept in q zone's another half pager again because over on the right we have another uh, the same full page advert as last issue for sonic the poster mic number one at all good news agents now they're going very light we have some codes yeah. for predator uh, on the master system and another world on the mega drive how to get extra continues in pit fighter and then the one that really gets me it's it, they've got tips for aladdin the second best mm. sega game ever created sonic's first of course but they're not cheats no they are actually tips of the sort that you would find frankly in the manual it's just stuff like i was gonna say they're they're not tips when they're just how you play the game yeah it's just saying stuff like <laughs> make sure you pick up the restart tokens and stuff collect apples decap attack decap attack starring chuck d head part six written and drawn by nigel kitching colors by john burns letters by tom frame Oh, really? Colours by someone Yeah, yeah, new colours, and uh, it's not Steve Potter on the letters either, yeah. Mm. By cloning a being with only half a brain, Frank N. Stein has created the most unspeakable monster of all, a Blockbusters contestant! Horrified beyond all reason at the sheer inanity of the creature, Max Decap flees, leaving the Prof and Co. to celebrate with a spot of tea. Of course, there's a question of what to do with Stein's new creation, but Igor has a solution, escorting the oblivious monster to the dungeon, where it becomes his newest torture victim. And here we are at the end. Something really stupid, as last issue promised. And it was right. I mean, yeah. in any other STC strip, we would be looking forward to this being the finale. And instead, it's just a long, drawn-out, reference to something we all watched on the telly in those days so yeah first thing we have to explain <laughs> is now this is obviously going to be your cue to rock up the uh, theme tune dave well, i expect course. nothing less blockbusters was a quiz show i don't know if they had it in america i don't know if no. they did it didn't have either bob holness or the correct theme tune one of the greatest theme tunes ever written Welcome the host of Blockbusters, Bob Holness. A game in which one team of two people 
played against a single player. It was a board of hexagons. Each of the hexagons had a letter on it. The answer to each question began with that letter, and they had to pick their hexagons and choose a path. The single player had to get from the left to the right, didn't they? I think and so. The, uh, the two players had to get from the bottom to the top of the screen, so they had to cross the board and get in the way of each other. And So, for example, if the player decided tactically the next hexagon they wanted to land on and therefore clear as part of their path to the other side was an M, then they would say, can I have an M please, Bob? At which Bob Holness, the presenter, would take out a card and say, what M is the name of the planet that Sonic the Hedgehog lives on? <laughs> well done, Dave. Very good. <laughs> there you go. Or, as the hilarious joke would go around school, <laughs> I'll have a P, please, Bob. Which is the first yes. line out of the mouth of the creature. Do you want to see my mascot? His name is Winston. Because <laughs> players on Blockbusters would have mascots, little stuffed toys that would sit on their uh, pedestal. On their little desk. Them, on this their is little the desk, thing. Yeah. Nothing about this is in any way penetrable to nope. someone who's American or wasn't a kid at the exact time we were. Blockbusters is actually on now, but yeah. you know, it's it's not something that you automatically watch. I can't even remember. When was it on? Would it have been Saturday lunchtimes or something? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Just one of those things you absorbed. Yeah, exactly. You We had all seen it loads of times mm. actually we were quite lucky in my area in the midlands they had a slightly special version of the intro where our local tv ident one of the frankly the prettiest ever written ended with a circular logo and they would turn that into the planet earth that starts the blockbusters intro oh. so it would kind of fade in in quite an interesting way they made a circular mask and faded between them anyway at least the first two pages but it feels like more than that mm-hmm. is just references to this one tv quiz yeah and it's entirely by the way literally every single person reading this would have seen blockbusters oh, so it's yeah. not as if it was obscure in any way no, but no. To, to look back on now so strange Decap just is like, when I forced Professor Stein to create zombies for me, I didn't expect anything like this. Get them in together, we're leaving! It harkens back a little bit to when, in a previous issue, someone showed up who looked exactly like Lloyd Grossman, which was, again, someone we'd seen on TV and we knew who it was. Nothing like as many references as we find here. Oh, wait, I want to do the gold one! <laughs> Yeah, the gold run. Yes, that was the final round and everything. Bob, the mascot. I don't remember. Was it a pop cultural thing that people who were contestants on Blockbusters were kind of stupid? And I don't think so, no, no. No, it's very strange. This is one of those things where a, a, a key part of... I like sort of British culture in around the time was to basically pick a thing and say that thing's stupid isn't it and we all yeah. know that <laughs> you're not wrong and that's what this does for instance we didn't actually mention it back in the news zone they said in the Sega bundles bit if you can't find your ideal crimbo present among this lot then you deserve to spend Christmas watching the Queen's speech and repeats of Beatles about I'd been perfectly happy to watch a lot of Beatles about Beatles about was great <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, in in kids' media, at least certainly, you get things like this where, okay, so we all knew what Blockbusters was, but it wasn't for us. No. So it's a sort of, yeah, that's a show for your parents that with adults in it, and that's why why it's dumb. Yeah, it's exactly the same as the Beatles About thing, where that just was, name a thing, and now that's all. We are able now to just make fun of it without even specifying why. Yeah, (laughs) brand-specific insult comedy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where the whole comedy is mentioning the brand. Do you know what does jump out at me? I genuinely never once noticed it until this reading of this strip. Okay. Chuck doesn't say a word. Oh! He is in three panels of, of these four pages, and he doesn't say a word 
It's a really weird... I would, I would actually go so far as to call it a strange failing of the final chapter of the story. <laughs> the central gag is so f***ing funny that it's, you don't notice. I've genuinely never noticed it before now. But yeah, the fact is, the hero of the story suddenly has no role to play in its own climax to the point that yeah. he genuinely doesn't even get any dialogue. That's weird. He just pulls faces in the background. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird, and I like it. Because being as we've had all the stuff about how many extra lives Chuck's got left and so on, kind of up until now, this has been sort of a comic about a video game. Mm. Whereas now, Nigel's just going, I'm not interested in that, I'm just doing a silly comic yeah. about these Halloween people. We get a comedy ending, and not one where uh, Chuck actually beats the body in, in any capacity. No. But I doubt that that was part of like the, the writing process. I doubt it was consciously <laughs> decided no. that Chuck gets nothing to do and says nothing in this. I feel like it's just a side effect of the fact that Strip's only four pages long and he had this comedy ending going. Exactly. And basically, Max Decap is sort of chased away in a mixture between going like, ah, oh, a blockbusters contestant, and also just kind of going like, ah, oh, forget this, I'm going home. <laughs> Igor is the one who gets essentially the final beat. Yeah. We've won, but what are we going to do with this miserable creature? Leave him to me. All right, pal. What D is an ancient place of imprisonment and torture? Oh, oh, I know this one. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, is it desert? No, hang on. Uh, Denmark. <laughs> Den East. Darlington. And like you as a reader have already sped ahead to the conclusion. Yeah, we know that it's dungeon. And then you think it's maybe going to be left hanging there. But it cuts away to like Frankenstein looking at his watch. And it's, well, wouldn't you know it? It's tea time already. Could I interest you in a hobnob? And uh, <laughs> listener, I have eaten two hobnobs just within the recording of this episode. And then it does. It cuts to welcome to Frankenstein's dungeon in big letters. But we all got it. And there he is chained to the wall, still trying to figure out what D it is. And the final beat is a super specific blockbusters gag. <laughs> He's strung up on the wall going, drying delicatessen? No, I'm never gonna get to the hot spot. And the hot spot was what the contestant stood on to do the final yeah. round of blockbusters. And then Igor pulls a flaming hot poker out of the fire <laughs> and goes, well, I wouldn't exactly say that. <laughs> what? Ah! And if that wasn't enough, and it was enough. That was enough. You could have ended there, that would have been it. But then, we cut to Megadroid himself actually appearing in a comic. Yep. For the first, not the last time, but for the first time. Just a, a single widescreen panel at the bottom of the page, sitting at his desk. Well, boomers, it's been a long six issues, but we made it. Be here next time when we bring you something sensible. <laughs> And then off to the side. A man comes in, struggling under the weight of a giant sack of letters, going, More complaints, Mr. Megadroid! Alright, put them with the rest. <laughs> and then end. For now! And that, look, I'm not blaming anyone for not having Nigel's specific odd concept of what this comic should be, but Nigel's odd concept of what this comic should be, with Megadroid sneaking into the frame, and with just silly jokes going on and blockbuster references, it just lined up so perfectly with what I thought that a comic should be yeah. and how I wanted STC to run. You know, this and the fact that we're about to launch into some, you know, over the next, in a couple of issues time, we're going to launch into a long run of continuity heavy, really exciting Sonic strips. Nigel just had the brain that was in the exact position that I needed it to be. I mean, Decap Attack, we've talked about it uh, many times already, but th this would go on to be the one 
above all others, Sega superstar non-Sonic strip that would outlast everything else in the comic well past the point when they just stopped making strips about other games in yeah. the far future. And part of that is obviously because Nigel made it and enjoyed making it. But if they were getting letter upon letter from readers slating it and saying, why do you keep putting that in the comic? <laughs> they wouldn't have kept doing it. They would have of given course. the real estate. So it is obvious that the audience loved this as much as Dave and I did. Of course. And that's the thing. It's part. This is part of what I mean. Nigel has already foreseen, and presumably the editor he talked into allowing this, um, they have this concept of like, the kids will love it if you make it look like this isn't supposed to be here, mm. that the adults are being circumvented for this section of the comic, and essentially the, the kids are winning, and silliness is winning over the Humes who think they're in charge, who are constantly described as being bossy and tiresome while Megadroid is just trying to make a comic around them. Like Streets of Rage, it's, but in a very different way, it's a strip that sells itself on the idea that you're getting away with something by reading it. Yeah. So that is the end of the first six-part Decapitex storyline. It will be back. Ooh, when will it be back? I want to say sometime around issue 30. That feels right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> um, seeing this again has been tremendous. It's just a treat, isn't it? And revisiting it with fully adult eyes yeah. again. It's not the first time I've reread it in my life. Obviously, I've reread Sonic the comic, or at least parts of Sonic the comic and Decap Attack many times. But um, yeah, as I said, but even now I'm still noticing things I'd never noticed about it before. In fact, I remember, gosh, it's somewhere in a future strip that, yeah, we do see this poor strung up in the dungeon still. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, a background gag or something. I don't, I don't remember if it's the next Decap Attack strip or if it's years down the line, but that was the mindset to it. Wonderful strip. Speed line. Speed line. I do remember this one from Mark Warren of Chichester. What a load of... <laughs> Dear SDC, after reading through an issue, I thought, what a complete pile of... Quality reading. <laughs> Not a black and white rip-off in sight. I don't appreciate uh, Mark Warren's attitude towards black and white comics, to be honest. Interesting to hear you say that. Yes, I saw a conversation between comics people online the other day, Lou Stringer among them, and uh, they were talking about how uh, there was a time when the black and white line art of 2000 AD started to be taken over with full colour artwork. And there was a, a faction of people who thought that this was a bad thing and uh, sort of fought to get it back because I think they thought it was in some way allowed the Inca to sort of be lazy or, or not to use the fullest of their mm. craft or, or whatever. Perhaps I'm extrapolating a bit because I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Comics were always in colour in my lifetime, so I don't know what yeah. they were talking about. No, that's the no, I mean, back in the day in Transformers, you know, it started out back in, in the, at the very start, it started out as a partially black and white magazine, yeah. but to the point that, like, some pages of a strip would be in colour and some pages would have been in black and white. And that's rubbish, and that was always rubbish. That's no way to do nothing. And it, it changed to a full colour magazine by uh, the 24th issue, I want to say. And then it would be full colour for six years. And then as the fortunes began to turn against it at the end, they broke it up so that the central pages of the comic were black and white. Huh. So the lead strip was color, the backup strip was color, those were reprints, and then the center strip was an original strip with black and white in the middle. So it's not an uncommon thing for British comics to be a mixture of color and black and white. I think the key thing when it comes to black and white comics and versus color comics and everything is whether or not that's the format it was created for and intended to be viewed. Yeah, of course. 
And then, who else have we got? I mean, everybody's just, these are just telling nice kid stories. Like Christopher Guest talks about how he was bored in the supermarket with his granny and then went to look at the magazines, found Sonic the comic, and she bought it for him, and it was all nice. Yeah, that's very yeah, nice. That's nice. It's nice. I like that, you know. I do like ST She. Yes, that's the other, like, standout one from Helen Williams of Newport. Dear STC, what I want to know is, are there any other girls out there? I'm sure I'm not the only girl who reads STC. Computer games are not just for boys. I also think you should print more letters and drawings. Apart from that, keep up the good work. Helen Williams, Newport Gwent, Mega Drive owner, Sonic Water Fun Game winner. And she's absolutely right. I know at least four girls who were reading this at the time. <laughs> Anecdotally, Megadroid <laughs> sympathises with the human who thinks he's in charge because of the two bossy female types here at SDC. Oh, I'm not so uh-huh. sure about that reply. No, neither am I. I assume he's referring to Deborah Tate and Claire Gilmore, the assistant editor and designer. Must be. They're the only two in the room. <laughs> yeah. But he does agree that computer games are not just for boys. Or humans, for that matter. <laughs> Stop again! Because now it's time for an interesting little insert recorded later on. We have a sort of brief guest on this episode. Keen-eared <laughs> listeners will have noticed that we had a guest voice reading out the letter there, and uh, the guest voice was Helen Williams of Newport Gwent, Mega Drive owner and Sonic Water Fun game winner. How did you find out about what happened? <laughs> well, I was scrolling down Twitter, and suddenly in my feed appeared the cover of the Sonic the Comic that I knew I was in. <laughs> so I was like, what is this? And it was uh, a mutual friend retweeting your podcast. Yeah, we have mutual friends, it turns out. That's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, Helen also drew a picture in the previous issue, the Tales Sonic 2 ending screen. Yes, that, that was yours, right? that's the one, yeah. You were very kind about it. Thank you. Thank oh, you. <laughs> well, I loved it. <laughs> Helen has kindly agreed to join us for just to drop in a couple of minutes of chat because we thought, like, we better had, haven't we? Yeah, Since this is going. This is what we want. Yeah. Um... Here, I've got a question for you, Helen. Okay. Did they print what you wrote? Or is it like an edited down version of the letter you sent in? It's very close yeah? to what I sent in. What Did they edit out anything risque that you also put <laughs> that wouldn't be suitable for publication? I could leave that as a mystery. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't sending in lewd tales to Sonic. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much what I wrote. Lewd tales. Send that into the uh, to the fan art gallery. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have a terrible fan art gallery one day. Oh, I hope people start... Hey, everyone, start sending artwork in. (laughs) Helen, did you ever find any fellow female STC readers in your actual local vicinity before the internet? Actual, (laughs) real-life female STC readers... Not a single one. Oh, we weren't living too far from each other back then. Where were you? I'm from South Wales, so, um, you know, near Swansea. Okay. I would have loved to have another STC friend who was a girl. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. I was just I know. stuck there writing letters to Sonic the Comic. You know, no one in school was kind of into it the way I was. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was read a bit, but I was the one who was bonkers about it, you know? <laughs> I was like into it at every issue yeah well we all remember sonic tuesday yeah yes and for a brief moment on the morning of sonic tuesday i was the coolest kid in school because i i made my mum take me to woolworths before Whoa. school you 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 had it on the day i did wow. i'm not sure i've ever met anyone who had it on the day <laughs> i was late for school because i was i was determined to have that in my hand oh wow <laughs> That is... So for a brief moment, I was extremely popular thanks to Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. It was... I don't know if you found the same thing. It was at that age that the boys were okay with you liking boys stuff. But the girls were strange about it. Very much, yeah. Yeah. The girls were like, oh, you've brought a computer game into school. Why have you done that? And 
Oh, and that's a bit weird. And I was at the end of the day, I went home and played Sonic too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was um, a funny era. Like there were girls that played the Mega Drive, but it yep. was a a thing you did. They did sometimes. And for me, it was now this is my way of life: is <laughs> video games yeah. and cartoons. And STC was a big part of that in such a massive way. So Helen, you had the game. Abby, yes. you didn't even have the Mega Drive at that I'd point, and I certainly Game didn't. Gear game. Mm. So if you already had one, Helen, yeah. you must have been an early adopter, because I assume you didn't get the Mega Drive on Sonic Tuesday and already had it. No, I did have it. I played Sonic 1 yeah. on my mum's friend's son's Mega Drive, mm. oh. that sort of thing. Yeah. And then for my, I th- must have been my birthday. And I was like, please, please, I need the Mega Drive. <laughs> I need this for my life. I was so excited about Sonic 2. On Christmas Day, I kind of had to promise my mum and dad that I would play Sonic 1 first before I put oh. Sonic 2 on. <laughs> okay. The, the Mega Drive I got came with Sonic 1 and 2. Well, that is an arbitrary <laughs> rule laid down by your parents there. But I, I made no such promise, even though I also got them on the same day. <laughs> well, what I can remember is getting to the Marble Zone. and. Uh, However, I was enough of a silly Billy stud that I just did that of my own accord anyway, yeah. because it felt like the right way around. Yeah, <laughs> you nerd. Yes. Sorry, so you got to the Marble Zone. And then I got a bit too scared to play more because the bit where the lava chases you really slowly. <laughs> uh, Helen, did you... Um, did you? So I assume you didn't play it before school. You just bought it before school. No, I bought it, took the Woolworths bag to school, yeah. yeah. Yay! And then... Oh, in its Woolworths bag nice. and everything. Oh, exciting. <laughs> did you pick up some pick and mix as well? <laughs> Chocolate fudge off the pick and mix. Yes! Oh, nice. That's, that is a, a, that's a good morning. That's a I mean, good start to your day. I mean, your mum really delivered that yeah. morning. Yeah. Which... She did. I have no complaints about that day. No. <laughs> See your mum. And then presumably, well, and so that was going to be my next question, because imagine how frustrating it would have been if you'd have got home that day and she was like, well, no, you can't play the game. I'm watching the television. Were you reading the manual in school? Yeah. yeah. People were like, yeah. oh, can I check the manual? And I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, only for a short while. I ain't going to need that bad. <laughs> yeah. Did you continue liking such nerdy things as time went Oh, on? yeah. When did you fall away from STC? I assume it happened. Um, well, I definitely bought the first 20 issues because that's the ones that I still have. Mm. But I think it wasn't long after that I drifted away from the comic because Jurassic Park came out and I became the dinosaur girl. <laughs> Yes. Now we're at the point now where, you know, it's come out by this point in the cinema, but I bet that's when it came out on video. I bet you got it on video and then that was it for STC after that. That that sounds quite possible. Did you get the Mega Drive Jurassic Park game? (laughs) I didn't, but I did play the the (gasps) dinosaur level the most in Echo the Dolphin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I loved Echo, even though I wasn't very good at it and never got very far. It's really hard. And it terrified I've never, me. I've never finished Echo without the cheat. I can't. It's. I don't see how Ugh. any human being can do it. Well, it's a tremendous shame that you did stop reading after twenty issues because it gets really good after that. So <laughs> read along with the podcast. Yeah, you'll It'll have to stick fun. with us and find out what happens next. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. I, it's, it's super interesting to me to find this coming back however many years 25 years later mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like oh there's people still talking about this this is really cool so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna see what I've missed out on now oh well this is lovely <laughs> we would totally have been mates if uh, I was living a bit closer to Newport when I was a kid oh definitely we would have been the two coolest Sonic girls yeah we'd have talked about dinosaurs and Sonic and <laughs> Echo it would have been awesome yeah just wearing like really cool trainers yes <laughs> <laughs> yes I had like um, one of those uh, 90s colour changing tops with heat <laughs> I was excited oh, about that global hypercolour I am jealous <laughs> I'd stand in the playground and put my hands on it for ages <laughs> and then I'd have hands on my shirt <laughs> 
<laughs> right, well, thanks for coming and recording that. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Another one of those odd pictures that we draw attention to sometimes. Yeah. From, uh, from Billy Oliver from Bagley? Bagley? Oh. Bag- Bagley? Bagley. Yeah, he's from, from, Par- from Manchester. Apparently it's in Manchester, but I've, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. And he, it's Sonic um, dressed up as... A footballsman. Presumably a real one, but well, you, you and I are not the guys to identify this particular We're script. not. We do have a clue underneath where Megadroid replies, never mind the Red Devils, here's a case of the Blue Hedgehog wah, wah. disguised as Sonic McClare. So I looked up football McClare, and what I discovered was that there is a footballer whose name was McClare, and he was in Manu at the time, but he, uh, he went all about the place. I think he was Scottish. He went to a Scottish team that I don't know, and he went to Celtic at one point. So yes, that's a football. Or whether it's that football. Well, here's Sonic wearing that strip anyway. If that's maybe that's that must be Man United's away strip or something. It's green and yellow. Yeah, I mean the lads from Manchester, so it makes sense. Oh, it does, doesn't it? There's also a photograph from some sort of an event, which is called the Garfield Summer Play Scheme, and uh, somebody has. We don't know if it's Bill Taylor of North Lansing, Sussex, who's actually in the picture. That's just who sent it in. But it's a boy holding up a drawing he's done of uh you know he's copied various pictures of sonic tails mm. robotnik sonic doing a spin attack oh look on the right hand side that that sort of tumbling shocked looking sonic I, I definitely recognize that yeah that's from when he almost falls into the spike trap in issue, issue one. one just like that sonic um in the center that is the cover that's of the issue cover one, of issue it? one yeah and then the the tails and robotnik are the sort of clip art stock poses yeah but there's every chance that he copied all of this out of his own issues of stc rather than out of uh yeah well those stock copies would have been the stickers from issue one wouldn't they Yes. So this is a very issue one inspired piece of artwork that uh, this young lad has created, whoever he may be. Whoever he may be. We've got Blue Humour. Here are some... Hey, that's an interesting banner, isn't it? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> blue Humour. You don't hear... so. The only time you ever hear the, that use of the word blue now is in uh, extremely elderly, edgy comics who think that it's a shame that they can't say uh, racial slurs. But um, on the fronts of their videos, it'll still say, you know, Blue Humour. We've had a few um, letters from kids who have decided to... Uh, be funny <laughs> and funny goes in air quotes there with uh well they are only kids but you know we've had like what was that one last issue about the lad trying to uh invent sega foods or that <laughs> yeah. one about uh the sonic poem where dr robotnik was drinking rum yes um, so this lad it's kevin galvin from harlesden london has written some hedgehog jokes well written is one thing copied out of a joke book i should imagine yes and that's why they're good because <laughs> yeah i was because they are because they're good jokes yeah and you've you, i mean i was willing to give kevin the benefit of the doubt but dave nope, clearly, clearly has thrown him under the bus entirely yep with uh yeah so dave if you would i've no sympathy for him at all i am so jolly writes kevin galvin uh, that i've decided to write some hedgehog jokes question what did the daddy hedgehog say to his naughty son before he spanked him i say i say i say mr <laughs> boomer what did the daddy hedgehog say to his son before he spanked him oh well the daddy said to his hedgehog son before he spanked him this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you a <laughs> <laughs> oh, little bit of uh, a little bit of physical abuse, human. It's hilarious, you know. I say, I say, I say. Who won the boxing contest between the hedgehog and fox? I don't know, Mr. Bulma. Who did win the pugilistic bout between the hedgehog and the fox? Why, the hedgehog. For he won on points. Very droll. Ah. 
which leaves only... Michael Wilson from Sprouston Norwich is paying attention to continuity <laughs> because Megadroid's been grousing about not being paid, but he remembers that in issue three, Megadroid said he was paid. So he must tell go. Megadroid to stop lying. But Megadroid's <laughs> response is, uh, don't believe everything you read in the press. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's odd that they bothered to print that one at all. Yeah, they needed the space. No, um, that is actually the end of the issue because um, there is no next issue solicit this That's issue. right. Yeah, we would see this a few times. Yeah. I hated it then and I hate it now. <laughs> You're extremely interested. Yeah. I want my advert for next issue, but in the place of where we normally get the um, promotion for the next issue and the inside back cover, we have the aforementioned subscription coupon. Yeah, yeah. If it, it more or less fills the page, doesn't it? Yep, takes up the whole. There's the data strip on the right where it normally goes, but then otherwise, yeah, I'd very much like a one-year subscription of 26 issues to Sonic the Comic. They weren't even charging you for post. Oh, yeah, twenty-eight sixty for, uh, for for a year's subscription for 26 issues at one time. Yep. If you're in Europe, it'll cost you 45 pounds. If you're overseas, brackets surface. Please note delivery of overseas mail by service post can take up to 12 weeks, £47, or by airmail, £55. And you can pay by check or postal order. Yes. You don't get that anymore, do you? No, you don't. Neither of them. So if you want that, uh, listeners, then you have to send your orders and payments to Sonic the Comics, Subs Department, Lazarhold Limited, PO Box 10, Pallion Industrial Estate, Sunderland, SR46SN. Not Tavistock Place in London. We're no, in Sunderland yeah, they don't. They, they must go to where they warehouse the stuff, I guess. Yeah. I once, yeah. you know, I was in London and I went past a sign that said Tavistock on it. I wonder if I was going past Tavistock Place itself, home of SDC. it used to be. Yeah, no, as I said, we would see this coupon a few times because it's got to go somewhere. But yeah. I mean, if it was me, I'd have been putting it in the half page stuff in the center of the comic. Uh, trickier to cut out, though, there. Well, that is true. So, yep, we have nothing to, to lead out of this issue with. Just, no, we'll uh, just have the... to guess, won't we? What, what, do you, yeah. what do you predict is going to happen? I think uh, so Christmas a... related. Themes. Yeah, it's a Christmas episode. So probably someone is going to get a beard and hat. Right? Uh, yeah, I think that sounds like a good guess. Yeah. I predict that the next part of Echo will happen, and also the next part of Golden Axe. Okay, good predictions. I think that uh, to further those predictions, I don't think either of those is going to be Christmas-themed at all. But I, I think you're right. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to leave us some, something into the Sonic story. Well, it did say next issue, Dr. Robotnik misses the Christmas spirit at the end there of the Sonic go. strip. So we got a little Christmas Sonic strip. So, yeah, they just have a subscription in there. Um, Do you know, if this was me, I'd be tempted to go Christmas Carol. I'd be tempted to have Sonic and friends disguise themselves to uh, to try and talk Robotnik round into the spirit of Christmas. Uh, I think it's the other way around, where oh. Robotnik seems mysteriously Christmassy. Oh. They are suspicious of it. Oh. But we will see how it unfolds. Can't wait. Um, so I believe that that is it for this episode of Sonic the Comic, the podcast. Yeah. So if you want to follow us on social media you can follow the podcast at sonic podcast or you can follow us individually i am chris mcfeely on twitter and youtube i am demon tomato dave on twitter and youtube and so on and if you want to tweet about the show use the hashtag <laughs> wow i think you're infecting me over the phone i line. think i might be 
If you want to tweet about the show, use the hashtag STCTP. We are looking out for it. We do retweet uh, endlessly. Oh, yes. Whatever you want to say, you're getting a retweet of us. And uh, while you're tweeting, if you also want to uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, those all do help. For you can find the podcast there or online at stctp.wigglehee.com. If you're an early download sort of person who just wants the MP3, yes, do leave us a review. I would be drastically interested in reading such a thing. I don't think we get many and if you give them to us then we get algorithmed up a little bit and uh, other people might find us our opening theme tune was synchronised by Sonic the Comic The Band they're really called that and if you go to sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com you'll find them there they existed long before we did it's not a coincidence I made sure that, that we were allowed to use some of their music for our opening theme we have been Sonic the Comic The Podcast and we will see you in two weeks, by which time I might be slightly less ill. It'll be a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Can I have a peepaw? Pretty please, pass me a peepaw. Grant a pee unto me, give me a peepaw. Wait and see, Bob, I want a pee. And if you give me a peepaw.